Hello, fellow dog-powered sports enthusiasts. This is Chelsea Murray, and you are listening to Positively Dog-Powered, a podcast that dives deep into the real world of positive reinforcement training and dog-powered sports. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Positively Dog-Powered. Today, we're going to be talking about some really fun topics like racing and training at the elite level with an excellent athlete, Jessica Pulliam. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jessica. Thank you, Chelsea. I was going to tell you, have you ever heard the podcast on Bean with Krista Tippett? It's like a PBS podcast. I don't think I have. You remind me a lot of her, but like dog version of her. Uh, <laughs> you should listen. I, when you asked me to do this, I had not heard of your podcast. And then I just totally binge, binge listened to all of them. And they're amazing, but you remind me so much of her. It's a very big compliment. I mean, it is a very big compliment. Well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I'm definitely going to have to check out that podcast. And I'm glad that even though you weren't aware of it before, you're a fan now. And I'm sure a lot of people will appreciate listening to you chime in on this episode. (laughs) Great. So before we get started, Jessica, do you mind introducing yourself a little bit to our podcast listeners and sharing a little bit about yourself and how you got started in sled dog sports? Definitely. My name is Jessica Bulliam. Um, I'm 36. I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you my age, um, but I just did. Uh, or I'm going to be 36 in two weeks. So I, I have been in the sport for about 17 years since I was 19. I I was a ski bum up on Mount Hood, Oregon, where I'm originally from. And uh, I snowboarded a lot. I was dating someone at the time and we had a dog and I had heard someone at the snowboard shop talk about the sled dog race that was happening before then I was really into horses. So I've always liked uh, animals. And that's a common thing I think among sled dog people is that they uh, did horses before this sport, uh, which is kind of funny. Uh, And so I went to this trailhead with the dog that my partner and I had at the time and just happened to get connected with local sled dog folks. And the rest kind of has become history. I was immediately and totally addicted. I love that so much. And I think you're right. The more people I talk to in the animal world in general, both sled dog sports and just in the training profession that I'm in, it seems like everybody or a lot of people have had kind of an origin with horses. It seems like a very natural transition and a little more affordable to, to, to move from horses into dogs. <laughs> totally. What it's so funny. I would not have thought horses would be like segue to sled dog sports but it 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 totally is so if you have horses be aware you might be like just segueing yourself into this sport (laughs) a warning for everybody listening if you have horses and you have not yet engaged proceed with caution (laughs) (laughs) exactly so tell us a little bit about the current dogs that you live with and some of the dog powered sports that you engage in with them yeah. Um, currently, I live in a self-converted van uh, full-time. I've lived in uh, the van van lifing for three years now. I had two dogs living with me. And during the winter season, 
I have three dogs living with me. However, just this uh, past uh, beginning of the year, my mama dog, uh, she passed away. So I'm technically just own one dog at this time. And my dog that I own is the offspring of the mama dog that I had. Her name was Pi, and she was from Norway. I bought her bought her from uh, Suvai Alspi. Uh, she's a world champion ski drawer. Amazing, amazing human, like absolute pure gold. And I got Pi from her after attending my first world championships in Germany and saw the dogs that she was running. She runs uh, pure GSPs, German short-haired pointers, and her dog's disposition, their drive, their athleticism just totally captivated me. And I think a lot of people, it, you know, it's fun. It's like, what breed of dog are you? <laughs> and never knew what breed of dog I was. I was just like, oh, I'm just like the girl that has, you know, nuts or whatever. But after meeting GSPs up close and personal uh, at the World Championships, uh, specifically through Sulva, I was like, oh my gosh, this is my breed of dog. I'm a German short-haired pointer in human form. Yeah, so Lee, the one dog I do have as my own, who I bred myself, um, she is purebred GSP. And then Bodhi, her brother, I take on for the winter for training and ski drawing with competitively. That's kind of my sport I pursue. I do do dry land as well, but uh, my heart is definitely in ski drawing. I'm very sorry to hear about pie, but that's pretty special that you've got an offspring of pie to be able to kind of continue that legacy and, and keep living with you. It's super special. And honestly, uh, I know anyone who's had, or I'm sure anybody who's had to navigate losing um, a special teammate, a family member, dog, however you want to refer to them as soulmates, it, like they're hard. And having an offspring of her has really only made has allowed me to get through it um successfully I mean I don't know if we ever get through it successfully but um has made it bearable I guess is the right word yeah that's understandable I I have not yet been able to have that legacy right of having another dog that you've bred from the same but have lost and I can only imagine that being able to have just a little sliver of them stay with you aids in that healing process just a little bit. Totally. And, and it, it Pi was not, <laughs> I, I got her with this uh, image and like dream in my head, like this is going to be my world champion dog. Like my, I said, I fell in love with getting her when I attended my first world championships uh, from her mom, uh, whose name was Nos. And I, I'm like, oh, she's going to be like, no, nah, she's going to be a world champion. Like, and I got last place and at that world championship and everything I competed in, have you like by like so many minutes, like 10 minutes, it was like red lantern award. I won that fair and square. 
Isn't that kind of how it goes though? I mean, it's your first dog, your first kind of big venture into it. I feel like we always have these big goals. And then along the way, it really turns out that there are, are in fact so many lessons learned and, and really the biggest piece they give us is learning how to do better and how to be better for all of those future generations of dogs. One million percent in hindsight, of course, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I am so glad she was not that dream that I had because I learned so, so, so much more and, and not in just in the realm of sled dog sports, but like in life too, like, especially I became a mom after that. And it's like, you can't, you know, like project your dreams onto what you want, you know, like your child or your teammate to be like, they are what they are. And and that's even better because they're going to gift you with the lessons you didn't think you were going to get. <laughs> oh my gosh, that that is so powerful and so true. You know, I know so many people in the sled dog world that we love our dogs, right? I mean, we would not be in this sport if we did not love our dogs. But oftentimes as we start setting these goals of things that we want to achieve, I think it can be easy to forget that those are our goals, right? Those are human goals. It's not... Our, our dog can't have those types of goals and win or lose. Our dog thinks that they're the best dog in the world, or at least they should, right? Based on how we communicate with them. And so I think it's so important to have those realistic expectations when you're engaging in sled dog sports that any goal you have for competition with your dog is a human goal and always make sure that you're keeping those expectations realistic for your team. Amen, baby. Like, Yes, that's really a very humbling experience. And it's a hard lesson to learn because especially I think when you're competitively driven as an individual, like that's part of your makeup, it's really, really, really hard to come to terms with that and learn how to work with that. But it's a, it's like a necessity in order to be successful though. And the success isn't going to be standing on top of the podium necessarily and being first place. The success is that you're just doing the best that you can as a team. Yeah. Well, and I think it gives you a new perspective too, in terms of, you know, if you went out there right off the bat and won everything, it's like, okay, great. Like, we'll just keep doing what we're doing, <laughs> right? But if you go out there and you face some hardship or maybe don't perform like you thought you would or thought that you wanted to, I think that gives you a lot of things that you can then go home and kind of break down and go, okay, here are all the things that we can work on, right? And how do I put all of these training plans into action with the dog? Yep, exactly. All the good stuff. That's where all the good stuff is. And that's where all the lessons are learned. That's where all the progress is made. So I know that along your career, right, maybe that first world championship was not what we expected it to be, but I know that you have done some pretty big events and traveled a lot with your dogs. Can you give us kind of some bullet points of career highlights or kind of some of the really big things that you've done with your dogs that you're proud of? Yeah. Um, so I, I think probably the first, so half of my stint in sled dog sports so maybe the first seven years or so um was very just like recreational and like fun and I competed with like just the local races in the Pacific Northwest I had no idea like this realm of world championship uh 
elitist level existed. And I was in a race in Idaho uh, and Kale Casey was coming through to participate. I don't know what year it was, but the world championships in uh, the North Pole. And he came and just like, I had like stars in my eyes, like, whoa, what is this? Like you were going so fast and you have these really cool race suits. And what is this? I, I, I want to know more. So he told me about what he was doing and going to the North Pole. And I was just totally captivated. And he told me about this magazine, Mushing Magazine. I don't, I'm not sure if that's in print anymore, uh, but uh, I got a subscription to this. They did a special article on the world championships after it took place in the North Pole. And they highlighted a story on Susanna Kelly, who is a Canadian uh, who moved to Norway uh, to do the sport more competitively. Because uh, I'm not sure if people are aware, but they say Norwegians are born with skis on their feet. And you see that in, uh, you know, the Olympics, the Scandinavia kind of dominates uh, the Nordic skiing scene. Although the U.S. is coming in hot and strong with Jesse Diggins. But ski drawing is obviously... Uh, you see people that are, you know, podium and make doing so well are coming from Sweden, Finland, Norway. So she moved there in this article and I read about her and I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to do that. I'm going to move to Norway and learn how to ski and like go really fast. It's going to be awesome. So that's what I did. And the problem with that is, I guess my personality or a weakness in my personality is I don't think how things are going to line up. I just am like, that's cool. I'm doing that. I'll learn how and figure it out after I'm doing it. So I moved to Norway. Uh, I stayed there for about 14 months before I got kicked out. Um, and that's a different story for another day. Nothing to do with dog sledding. And I gleaned as much as I could on how to learn to ski my myself without dogs and then uh, with dogs as well. So that, that's like the highlight. And from there, there's, you know, things have blossomed and bloomed in other directions. I mean, that's pretty cool that you just decided you wanted to do this thing and then went out and did that. I think that a lot of people now were like, we're so comfortable in our little bubble that this idea of just dropping everything and moving to another country or moving across the country can be so intimidating for us. But I imagine that that gave you the ability to access the sport in a very unique way and kind of connect with folks over there. Very much so. And I think that that is one of the most beautiful things about this sport is that the this like eclectic uh, collection of people that do it, we're all different colors and walks of life. And we have this thread that is dogs that brings us together and it weaves the most beautiful like spider web of rainbowed colors like and it is just so rad you meet so many cool people through this sport maybe they don't just do ski drawing maybe they're like open class maybe they you know do long distance whatever but you still can have this connection through the dogs and learn so much. It's, it, it, it's my favorite part about the sport. 
when you were staying over there, were you just training with people or did you also do some races? Yeah, I did a lot of races. So just like here in the US, um, uh, they have clubs in Norway based on, you know, regions. And so you join your local club where, you know, wherever you're residing, and then they have races and then all the, uh, you know, different, all the clubs put on their own race and you travel to the different races and this and that. I guess the difference being that because, it, and I can only speak uh, being in Norway, because Norway is a smaller country, it's not like the United States, which is humongous, they can have national championships and stuff where uh, it's not difficult for people to travel um, to, to, you know, all, you know, a rotating location and uh, compete against, you know, everyone in the country versus here in the U.S. where we're so spread out that that's kind of difficult to do for everyone to convene in one area and race against each other. I mean, that's a huge undertaking. When you were over there, did you then travel back home with your dogs or did you, were you borrowing dogs while you were over there? No, I actually, I, um, I had two dogs and they flew with me over there. And then, you know, we lived there and, uh, when I had to leave, um, they flew back with me. Okay. <laughs> so talk to me about events over there versus events here. What do you notice as an athlete, the difference in, you know, experiencing an event over there versus an event here in the States? Honestly, when you cut it down to the roots, it really is quite similar. Maybe the difference is that there is more people, but not like a huge amount of more people. I, well, that's true and not true. I guess it depends on the, the event we're talking about. I will speak to ski drawing because that's what I had the most experience in personally. And I think you see a lot of families like that have been doing it for, you know, multiple generations. And so there's a lot of support and atmosphere in that regard, which is awesome because really doing this sport, if anyone doesn't know it, it, takes all hands on deck and having more support always makes anything more easier. So yeah, participation, you saw like in ski drawing, there was tons of, it's just ski drawing specific events. Whereas in the United States, you see a lot of ski drawing intermixed with, you know, uh, mid distance races or, you know, sprint races. It's not just like a standalone uh, per se. They also have Polk, which is quite big there. That's like very traditional and kind of, you know, culturally a important part of the sport, which is here. We don't have Polk and I don't know, do I need to explain what Polk is to people? Yeah, go, yeah, go ahead. Yep. Well, Polk is just kind of like the ski version of sledding in a way. So you're on your skis still, but your dog is pulling a Polk, which is kind of like a sled. Uh, it, it has a shaft that connects over the back of the dog and then the shaft, uh, which is which is metal, um, then connects to this sled on skis that's very aerodynamic looking flat. And inside the polk, they situate weights and the weights then are, need to be 
75% of what the dog is. So everything, the pulk, the, sh the harness, whatever, anything the dog is carrying has to equate to 75% of their body weight. So you add weights in there to, uh, to account for that. And then you are then attached to the pulk and you ski behind it. So the idea of that is it's like really showcasing not only what the dog can do in terms of pulling, because like, that's kind of the idea of the sled dog sports is your dog is pulling and you as a skier as well, because you uh, have to ski behind this polk. So that's kind of the idea. And that is um, a big part of the ski drawing scene there. And then they have a event too called combined, which is where you do the polk for one lap and then you come in and you take the polk off and then you just do ski draw. And that is so fun. Like, and uh, but you know, it, it takes special technique to like learn to take the polk off as fast as you can without, you know, like falling and looking like a circus, which I was fantastic at doing in the beginning, but that's how we learn. And, uh, yeah, but that's not a thing here in the U S and I'm not sure it ever will be because we don't have that historic culture intertwined, you know, roots. That's pretty cool. I, uh, I was talking to Nick and Joy Weiss, uh, I guess it was several episodes ago now, but um, we were talking about uh, the events at Worlds where, you know, somebody will do biking and then hand off a baton and, you know, then there's hand across and they're trying to explain this to me and how fast they go and how quickly, you know, you hand things off. And my brain was just like, I, I don't know how you do that. I would be so stressed out that I like would not be able to function in that high intense environment you could do it I think a lot of times like people get intimidated like when they hear this but if you just go and try and if you need if anyone needs someone to pump them up to try you call me I will pump you up and get you can do this and then you try it and then you're like okay that like in my brain it was way different than how it actually panned out and and I can do this so yeah I think you could do it, Chelsea. You you go get it, girl. Yeah, we'll see about that. Me and my Malamutes. <laughs> when you came back to the States, you obviously kept racing. Uh, you ended up breeding one of your dogs. Um, tell me a little bit about some of the events that you have enjoyed the most so far. Obviously, you still have a big career in front of you, but are there certain events in your minds that really stand out as being something special? Yeah, I would say... Last year, attending uh, the what's said to be National Ski Jordan Championships for the United States in Minneapolis, because that is a ski jordan only event that takes place at the same time as a like a Nordic ski event too. So it's like you know specific Nordic ski trails. There's no sleds, and also you have very you know elitist skiers not with dogs. Uh, there as well so there's nothing like it in the united states uh so i think that that's probably one of the highlights of my favorite things and it is a highlight because i mentioned before i'm a mom i'm a single mom that's really hard to put into words how to mesh my love for this sport and in addition to like my responsibility as being a parent 
in a solo parent, you know, finding time to train and being innovative in a way that I can train, but I have this small child with me uh, as well. So it, it's spiked the creative uh, tactics in, in my brainwaves. So that I was super, I'm super proud of my dogs and I'm super proud of myself because somehow I managed to get good enough training and mental capacity to stick with it and do this and show up to this race. And we pulled off some amazing wins. And that was my dog's second race ever. They ever, ever in their lives, they were young dogs. So I was just like so stoked. And I don't mean for this to come across conceited or anything like that. But if you work hard at something and you accomplish something you didn't think you could be proud of yourself because you earned it and I I feel I very much earned earned that and I wouldn't have appreciated it if I as much as I have if I didn't lose and like I was saying come from pie and just like lose everything uh, constantly be the last place finisher it really the stoke is very high <laughs> I'm always trying to encourage those around me that when you accomplish something big, especially something you've worked really hard for, I think it is so important to like acknowledge that and be proud of yourself and, you know, take in the gratitude and, and kind of just live in that moment. Because I think so often in the world that we live in with social media and, you know, technology, I think it's very easy for us to have a big win or reach a goal and then just move on past it. I don't think that we take enough time to kind of sit in that and be like, I worked hard for this. I deserve to be happy. This is a big moment, you know, and I think that's so important to find those moments to appreciate yourself and to appreciate your hard work and maybe even reinforce yourself for it. If you can remember how you felt in that moment and how good it felt, that's what's going to fuel you then when you set that next goal to start working towards. Exactly. And, and also to pay respect to the competitors um, that I competed against, like that would, this would not mean as much as it did either if I hadn't had the level of competition as well. Like those competitors showed up, you guys made me ski my butt off. <laughs> so <laughs> that like there, there would be no race without everyone included. So like, I hope they're all proud of themselves too, because, you know, sometimes just everything very rarely, it very rarely happens. Like I can say in 17 years, that is the race where everything aligned up for me, even though I thought everything was going wrong. Uh, it, it, it's everything aligned and you can pull off sometimes something you think is impossible. Yeah. Now I'm going to ask you something. You brought up something when you were talking about that race, about it being a really big moment for you, not just because of the competition and you were working hard, but also because you were a new single mom. And I think that even if people aren't parents, right, I think everybody can have that mind block of this is going to prevent me from doing what I want, or this is getting in my way, or this is making it really challenging to do my training. Maybe I just shouldn't, right? I think everybody can relate to that idea of feeling like something is blocking you or impeding on your ability to do what you want to do and reach these goals. Are there certain things that you have kind of learned along the way or, or something that you do with your planning to 
not let that be a roadblock to kind of embrace that that is who you are and that is what your life looks like. And how do I still take care of what I need to and be a good mom, right? But also prioritize, you know, some of my own goals. Oh, that is a beautiful question, right? Because this can be applied, not just like in the sense that talking about being a parent and Mm -hmm. anything, anything, your work, your, uh, your studying for something, whatever. I think, I think it comes from inside. You have to find that for yourself. Nothing I say can give you that. That's something that you have to find and give yourself. That being said, I think for me, because of the situation that I am, which is not a situation that I thought I in, uh, so goes life for everybody. But right, you have a choice that you can either make the best of it or you just let it be the worst. And but that's ultimately what you have to decide yourself. Not that either one is right or wrong, but it's just your own choice. Dog sledding, ski drawing. Sled dog sports is my heart. It's what makes me ground into me. And so I know with all of the other factors of my life, like I had to hold on to that to be sane and to to be the best part of me. So whatever it took, no matter how tired I was, I just dug in deep to that fire. And I'm like, I need this. This is, this is going to help me be better in all the other parts of my life. And that, that's where I did. Does that answer the question? It absolutely does. I think that's so true though, that I, I think too, a lot of people tend to not prioritize self-care or not even like that word of self-care, but you know, something that you said is that I had to dig deep and because this was your heart, right. You had to give it your all because I think sometimes we forget that fueling ourselves up and filling our emotional cup up is what really then allows us to be the best human that we can and give our full selves to everybody else around us, whether that's our job or our friendships or our relationships or being a parent, right? And so I think sometimes that we might feel selfish or uncomfortable about prioritizing some things in our life, but I think ultimately if we can kind of reshift our mindset about that, I think that can lead us to being better at all of those other things instead of thinking of it as, you know, taking time away from those things. Yeah. One million percent agree. One million percent agree. So I know that snow sports are your thing, right? That's kind of where your passion is at in ski jorm. Obviously with van life, we have ability to move around maybe just a little bit to find good snow and move with good snow, but no matter where we are, snow doesn't last all year round. So we do have to do some dry land training in order to keep ourselves and our dogs in shape. Are there certain pieces of dry land that you find more beneficial than others in terms of keeping yourself and your dogs in shape? Yes. And, but this is my weak point because I haven't really figured out a good way to train dry land with uh, a toddler because right um, on the skis, I have the um, 
chariot thing. It's like a, it's like a human polk, the little sled that you can wrap around and then the child sits and they're buckled in and then you strap it around your waist and you pull them um, on the skis while I'm training. But I haven't figured anything out with dry land with a bike that I feel comfortable because that just seems way less safe to me. I, I just, I'm not comfortable with it. So the only thing I've found is like going to the beach and canna crossing while having my child backpacked to me on my back. And it is so not fun. <laughs> it's not fun training at all. I hate running and I, it's just like bouncy. It, yeah. So honestly, my dry land training is kind of sidelined unless I have, um, I'm training with other people and they'll volunteer to watch Olivine, my daughter, why I go out and do a training run with my dogs. So that's kind of a hiccup in my training regimen at the time. So I, I, that's why I'm not really into dry land right now, but I, I don't know what else to, to say, but I'm going to keep trying to figure out a way to, to do it. <laughs> do you find yourself then, I imagine, relying on cross-training, maybe free running or hiking and backpacking, you know, and then training for the brain to kind of keep the dogs relaxed? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, being in a van in a small confined space, like, and with high energy dogs, I have to do something every day with them regardless. So we do a lot of hiking and things like that, free running, uh, playing ball, you know, throwing the ball, that type of thing. So um, that's kind of my mode of what I, I do. And I, I do, I will bike with uh, Olivine in the the chariot attached to the bike and then the dogs can free run but I don't hook them up with the with me and her at the same time so yeah lots of just free running running doing things like people do with just normal dogs not that your sled dogs are not normal but you you get what I mean just like your pet I like, do yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that, that makes total sense. You find alternative ways instead of dog powered sports often in dry land due to circumstances, right? But you're again, creative about it, bringing up that idea of creative creativity. They get to do free running, they get to do hiking. And then if you have the ability to have a sitter with a friend kind of volunteering to watch, then you're able to get out and maybe get a good run in. So kind of a combination and finding that balance, but obviously making sure that those needs are met because nobody wants a crazy dog <laughs> living in a small space with them. Oh my gosh, that is like a nightmare. And that is not fun and not what any of us want. But that, I think that's also what is really cool, whether you're pursuing this sport competitively, recreationally, just for fun, whatever, is that it's getting you outside with your dog. And there is no better healing force than mother nature. Like I cannot tell you how many times I wake up or, you know, have a day and I'm like, Oh my God, the last thing I want to do is go outside with my dog and do something. That is not what I want to do. But if, you know, you take the first step, you get outside, you do it. And every time always feel better afterwards. I know that's super cliche to say. And I'm always like, I wish I could just have this feeling at the beginning. And then I wouldn't, you know, be like 
dragging my feet to get out the door, but right, then what's the point? We'd be learning nothing. So yeah, there's that. I, I feel that. I feel that 100% with my autoimmune disease. There are some days where like, I just don't want to walk. Moving in general hurts. And I always say, you know, I'll look at my dogs. I'll look at my husband. And I'm like, you know what? We're just going to get out. I have zero expectations of what this is going to look like. We're just going to start moving and we're going to see what happens. And some days that's all it is. It's nice and slow. The dogs are happy to just get out and sniff. Some days I'm like, you know what? I'm feeling good. Let's go do a little can cross. But I think mm-hmm. that sometimes that hardest part is just getting out the door and getting started. And if you can just get over that mental block to get yourself outside and then accept whatever happens, right? Because I think to that idea of like, okay, taking the pressure off yourself and just not having expectations necessarily about what it's going to look like, I think can be really freeing in terms of getting yourself out the door when it does seem hard. Mm, Exactly. Uh, I would say small steps, deep breaths. I don't know if this is a good segue to say this, but I think it's really important. um, And I'm like trying to do this thing of like being honest with the whole picture, right? So the, I am a very competitive person and starting out in this sport, it was like, you know, fun, whatever. And then I learned about the more light thing. And I'm like, oh, I want to like, I want to win. And you get so what the word when you're like, you're seeing something and you're just like, you're just seeing that you're not like seeing anything else. I Like you've got blinders on. Yeah. Tunnel vision, tunnel vision. Like you have tunnel vision and you're missing all the good stuff. And that was a very good experience because you know, you get so hyper-focused on just like, you know, like I want to win or whatever. And that's hard to say because I don't like saying that because it's kind of, it's not a good quality I I think is good. Um, but if you have that, that's fine too. But just for me personally and becoming a parent, having Pi as a first dog, it was so humbling to be like, no, this is not what it's all about. Like, and my expectations, like if I'm only focused on achieving the expectation, if I don't achieve that expectation, there's like all of this other stuff I've missed. And that's, that's the good stuff, folks. That's, that's what, what we need. Question for you. I know that, um, um, you know, you've got a very busy schedule with training and life and being a mom, taking care of your dogs. But I know that you also help people get started in ski jorm. And I think that even for people that have some experience on skis, they might be quite alarmed the first time they hook up to engage in ski joring because it really feels quite different. And it's very different having a dog out in front of you pulling you than it is if you're skiing on your own. So as you're coaching people to get started, do you find that there's kind of some common threads that people generally struggle with or that you have to help coach them on? You know what weirdly is I've come across a lot of people who they don't think they have the confidence to do this. And again, expectations, we build these things in our mind that aren't actually reality. Um, What I can offer I or anyone that's helping someone learn anything is to 
be a pillar of confidence for them. And that's the biggest thing is, and it's kind of a selfish thing, right? Because when we give something to someone that makes them feel good, it makes us feel good. Um, so I love being a fangirl. It is one of my favorite things in the world. And I would say over the years, I've been in my path has led me to helping a lot of women learn to support. I can't say I've had many men, not to say that that's not a thing or that I welcome. It just, that's what has crossed my path. And it is so amazing, like getting women from all walks of life and just being their ultimate fangirl to pump them up. And I think that's just the best thing. And they can go in there thinking that they can't do it. And it's like, no, baby, you got this. Look at you go. You're doing it. And to going from from them going to they don't think they can do it to them doing it. And they did it. I didn't do anything but just cheer them on and be a mirror and show them what they're doing. So I think that's the biggest thing anyone who maybe has more experience in in whatever part of the sport, someone wanting to get involved is be their fan, be their confidence, be the inviting person. That's something I do struggle with being in competitive mode is that you often like, you're, you're like, I'm also an ambassador for this sport. And as an ambassador for this sport, like our job is to grow the sport. I think that when trying something new, that can be the hardest part, mm-hmm. right? Is that a lot of times when, when there are people around watching, when you're worried about making a fool of yourself, you know, you can, there's a lot of anxiety that can come with that. And so I do find too, from a trainer standpoint, right on the, on the dog training side of things that, that too, is part of my job is like telling people when they're doing a good job, when they're doing things right. And oftentimes I find that when you acknowledge that they're doing something right and kind of support them and cheerlead them on that, it can kind of tune out some of that anxiety. And then you really see them kind of light up and they're like, okay, I got this. And once you can kind of give them a little piece of that confidence, then they perform much better as well, right? Because they're not so in their head and worried about what's going on. You nailed it. Exactly. That one million percent. That is, that's the whole thing. Yeah. From a competitor standpoint, I know that being somebody's cheerleader is very different than being your own cheerleader. Do you find that you need to seek out that from other people or have you learned how to kind of manage those nerves and those thoughts to kind of be your own cheerleader in in competition? Yes, and I think one thing that, I struggle with is that you get so in mode of competitiveness that you kind of forget this is fun. This is, this is supposed to be fun. And, um, if it, and I think that I lost that for a while, to be honest, and I don't like using the word shameful, but I, I think it kind of is shameful for me to, to even, you know, admit that out loud because I lost a, 
a lot of the good stuff. I know we keep coming back to the good stuff, but the good stuff is the fun stuff. And if it's not fun, then why, what, why am I doing this? What is, what am I giving myself? What am I growing? I'm just like, I'm growing the not best parts of me. And that's not what I want out of life. Dog sledding or not dog sledding. I think, yes, in the competitive mode, and you know what, weirdly, is because like, when you're a competitor, you're competing against people, right? Like, and you're like, oh, I've got to beat this person. But you know what the best medicine I found for reconnecting with this being fun is the competitors, right? Is, is having those relationships with the competitors, because these people aren't just people I'm competing against. These people are a family. These people are my friends. And they're more than family because they're the people I want to pick to be my family. So it's it's kind of oxymoron, right? You're like, I'm competing because like you want to be good against these people, but these people are going to give me the good stuff, which is like, it's not about competing. It's about having fun. And you got to remember that because then the dogs <laughs> are not going to have fun. And you're going to ignore that fact, I think, too, because, right, you don't want to see that your dog isn't having fun. You just like, and your dog is a is a being, is a creature. It's not a machine. And they don't think like us. They're not human. And we can't project ourselves on them to be us. And their magic as dogs, I think, is they mirror what we don't want to see in ourselves. So if we can be perceptive and open our eyes, that's where the sports magic comes from and where the fun is and why we got to keep coming back to it. I'm so glad you brought that up though. A lot of people struggle with mental management, right? Like we get into a competitive environment or an environment where we feel competition, right? Even if there isn't, we can feel it. And I think that that can impact how we're feeling impact what we're thinking, right? Impact our inner monologue and what we're telling ourselves. Obviously I am not perfect, right? Like I still have things I need to work on in all forms of dog sports and and competitions. But one thing I always remind myself, like my little mantra is to look at my dogs, right? And they're just smiling and having a great time. And I literally ask them out loud, Hey bud, you ready to go have some fun? Because that's what it is for me in every single environment. And that's what it should be for the dog, right? And like you said, if we're not having fun, what are we doing? A couple of weeks ago, I was chief judge at a a race that we hosted down here. And I was in the starting shoot with people, you know, and the moment I saw people, you could, you can see it in their face, right? That stress start to kick in, they get quiet. You can see their body start to tense. And I literally just look at them and I'm like, Hey, are you ready to go have fun with your dog? And the moment I said that, like, they just started smiling and they're like, yeah, you ready to go have fun. And it's so funny how the moment we can remember, this is all just about fun right? It shifts something inside of us. And so I, I love that you brought that up because it's so important to remember that, that even, you know, from recreation level all the way up to elite, just remembering to go out there and have fun with your dogs, to have fun with your friends, your tribe, right? Your chosen family. I think Mm -hmm. all of that is so important to keep on the forefront of your mind as you're going to these events. 
and all easier said than done, right? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, it's easy, right? <laughs> Literally, write it on your arm to remind yourself, like, whatever you need to do. But tackling that is definitely, I find that you have to put it into practice, and you have to keep practicing it. At at when you're going out to run, just with your dogs and training, and when you're going out to an actual competition. Um, but it's hard. It's hard. It's not an easy thing to do for sure. But we just keep training like the dogs and and we'll we'll get better and better and better at it. Practice makes better. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so preparing for big competitions, especially, you know, events like worlds where you have to travel, I imagine is a little different than if you're preparing for something that's a little more domestic, right? Something where you can drive to. Um does your training plan change at all? Do you find yourself, you know, making packing lists? How do you, once you kind of decide that's what you're going to start to pursue, how do you start preparing yourself and the dogs for it? I'm really bad about, I'm not analytically minded, uh, a person or that's not how I operate. I am very like, feely person. Uh, I operate on feeling. When I focus on any type of racing, domestic or international, really the only thing I look at is distance. Like what is the distance that I need to be able to run for um, at my max capacity, my dog and I. And that's the only thing that I consider. And in that, then I just like am working on building up to that distance. And my thinking is that I start very, very slow and it's all about pulling hard. It has nothing to do with speed. Uh, best advice I ever have gotten is that the speed is always there and the speed will always be there. Um, it's the things that build your speed that you should work on um right you can't like just go be at the top of the stairs without stepping on each step before you get there so i just work on going slow and that's hard because the the most fun part is going fast for as long as you can <laughs> i had i got a gps watch i never remember to put the thing on me before i go on my run uh and more often than not, I forget my phone too. So I really do try to keep something that I just know how far I'm going, or if I forget it, like 90% of the time, then I just go on feeling like, okay, I think this is about a mile. Um, or, and I watch the dogs. I, it's all, and nothing ever turns out how you want it. Like you can go out thinking like, okay, this is what I'm going to work on. These are the things that I want to like check off on my goals and it's like okay I'm starting this off and nothing is going to go this way so you just work with what you get you get what you're given we don't have control over life and anything really we like to think we do you just gotta work with what you get and if you get nothing that time but you got out and you did it and yes that's a win <laughs> yeah I love that you can control for everything in your brain but living with animals and working with animals, you actually, there's very little under your control. So I imagine that when you're going out, like most people, we kind of have to be flexible 
and adjust what we're working on or adjust our distance or adjust the trail based on, you know, certain environmental components that are, like you said, unpredictable. (laughs) And doing this with a kid, I like I have been humbled in the most humbling way you could ever do it. Like everything I'm like, nothing is like I have a screaming child in the back of this people and I'm just like trying to tune her out. And I can't because like biologically we're engineered to like respond to this crying. And then you get like, frustrated so then it's just like you know what we're we went 100 feet dogs are being unhooked you guys go run around I'm going to tend to the child and maybe we just end up going back to the car and that's just the way that the cookie crumbled and that sucks but that's life sometimes so yeah gotta have a sense of humor and you have to be flexible (laughs) yes laughing is great I laugh and cry at the same time (laughs) and it's great. It's it's wonderful. (laughs) It's very emotionally releasing. I can imagine. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. Well, is there anything that we didn't talk about tonight that you feel like somebody should know if we've got a listener that maybe is wanting to get more competitive in ski jor, or maybe is starting to think, okay, maybe worlds and traveling to these bigger events is something that could potentially be in my wheelhouse. Any tips for them? Go for it, babies. You got this. You can do it. Dream big, live big. And uh, don't be afraid. And I think this is something we were talking about where my train of thought was going before when the computer died was being in the sport as ambassadors, like we love the sport. We, how does a support, a sport or anything survive is that more people are a part of it. Right. And so as ambassadors, people that are more, um, you know, have more roots in terms of like years participating, that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, more time that you've been a part of this is to be a welcoming beacon for other people. And that's really hard um, when you get into this competitive mindset, because maybe you don't even realize it, but you kind of like close yourself off and maybe you don't seem approachable. Um, And that could not be your personality at all, but it's just like, we're humans. We pick up on vibes, body language, and we might not even realize we're doing it. So I think if we just like, you know, ground in for a second, be like, okay, there's like people here that you know, like a little kid that's like three years old and you're like the ultimate sunshine to them of like, this is my dream. This is what I want to do. Like, remember that. So they, you, you can be approachable and they can share that dream. I, I think that's the biggest take home thing is be a friend, be a human, a good human and yeah. love a lot. That's good. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Jessica. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. It honestly got a lot more real than I thought it was going to. And I think it was really beautiful. So I really appreciate you being open to that conversation and joining me today. Girl, I told you you're Krista Krista Tibbet for like dog powered sports. And I got to go look her up. Yeah, I really, really appreciate it. And I'm, if anyone has any interest in ski drawing, I would love to help direct you and be your fangirl. So thank you so much, Chelsea. You're doing an awesome, awesome thing with this podcast. 
So thank, thank you. you. I appreciate that. So until next time, have fun chasing tails on the trail. Thank you.